Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Our next guest, Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward, who is coming to Minneapolis, by the way, Monday, December 3rd. 7.30 p.m. at the State Theater, and if you're interested in tickets, pretty simple, online at hennepintheatertrust.org. You can also go to the State Theater box office and charge by phone at 800-982-2787. Mr. Woodward, we appreciate the time. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, I have to start with a very short story about how you and I met 41 years ago, if I have my math right, and you have no reason to remember it. I'll try to set the scene briefly. I am sitting in Ernie Pyle's historic desk as editor-in-chief of the Indiana University Daily Student. It's a weekday evening, fall of 77, and we're working on the next day's paper. Door opens, and a fellow who looks an awful lot like you, Bob Woodward, walks through and into the newsroom. You spot the AP teletype machine, because those days those existed, and you walk to it, take a quick look at what's on there, what's clacking out, and then you approach me, the fellow at the desk, you identify yourself, and then you explain that you have a complaint about something in the story that had been in that day's newspaper about your appearance at the Indiana Memorial Union. And as I recall it, it's so long ago, I, I, I do know I was scared out of my mind, but I still tried to do my best steely, sort of Ben Bradley standing by my reporter approach and you and I had a nice chat. I think we ultimately agreed to disagree. I don't even know what the, 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 the complaint was, but we ended up having a nice conversation. And as I said, I, I tell the story now because, one, I thought you might get a kick out of it. And, two, it reminds me that even then, by then, you were already not just a, an award-winning reporter, but you were a celebrity. And you've continued to be a celebrity over the decades since. And witness, you know, you're, you're coming in in a great opportunity for people to see at the State Theater. How do you or how have you kept yourself grounded to the reporting that I know you like to do through all of that celebrity? Okay, I mean, that's a fair question. But to go back to when I looked at the AP wire and I had some complaint, did I tell you uh, that you were fake news and the enemy of the people. <laughs> My recollection is you were a lot calmer and uh, 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 yeah, a little bit, a little bit more measured than that. I, I have no rec- recollection of a fake news <laughs> accusation. You're right. Well, I, I mean, this is, we're in a new era. In the '70s, uh, it got pretty tense, and during the Nixon Watergate case. Uh, he and his spokespeople called Carl Bernstein and myself. Uh, what, you know, they said we had sources uh, that were uh, fountains of misinformation. They called us character assassins, uh, which was pretty bracing at that time and uh, gave you a pause and caused you to check and make sure you were getting things uh, is accurate as possible. And uh, over the years, you've continued to do that. I, I read an interview uh, you did just within, I think, the last few, since the book came out in, in September, 
that you described yourself as you thought you had become a bit lazy. Yeah, yeah. D- describe what you meant exactly by that. I found it fascinating. What did you mean? What, uh, well, what what happened is uh, that I've done uh, the, this Trump, the Trump book is the 19th book. And as I've worked through doing books on all the presidents from Nixon and so forth, I found I could ask people to come over for lunch or dinner or uh, get them on the phone. And uh, what I was not doing is going and knocking on people's doors uh, when I didn't have an appointment. And I realized in working on the Trump book, and I told Trump this in August when Trump called me to complain that we hadn't done an interview, and I explained I tried to work through uh, six people, but I directly said to him, there's no way I could get the story about what's going on in your administration by going to the White House. I had to go see people at home uh, and... So I started doing that. This is something I learned from Carl Bernstein back in the 70s, and uh, it bore fruit, uh, but it's hard. I mean, there was a point 11 o'clock at night uh, one evening when I was working on this book, and I had a, the number home number for somebody in the White House, and I, it was one of those fork-in-the-road moments of, uh, do you go this way or that way? Do you make the call or not? And part of me said, look, it's 11 o'clock at night. Uh, you, at that point, I was 74 years old. Go to bed. <laughs> uh, but because I had the number, I think I called and person answered and said, I would like to interview you. And he said, yeah, yeah, call the office tomorrow. We'll work it out. The brush off, right? Mm-hmm. No. We all know in our business about brush-offs. And I just said, well, how about now? And he said, now you're crazy. It's 11 o'clock at night. I said, I'm four minutes from your house. He said, four minutes from my house? How do you know where I live? I said, that's the easy part. He said, okay, come on by for a while. Fortunately, his wife was out of town, and I was able to stay it wasn't quite dawn, but it was getting close to dawn when I left. And so the reporting method of going and showing up and seeing people and convincing them you want to get their part of the story uh, that uh, I found in myself, I wasn't showing up enough, was not showing up aggressively enough. And so uh, that's I changed some of my procedure for this book. So you went back to the to the root to your roots, basically. That's yeah, how you yeah. fight through the celebrity stuff, right there, right? That that's a great story. That explains it pretty pretty vividly. Well, it's uh, it it can work. Uh, you get no's also. People sure. say no, don't come, or what are you doing on my doorstep? Uh, but you you have to and. Uh, I discovered you have to do multiple interviews, go back and see people. People have documents at home. They have diaries. They have notes. And if you can get that, 
you have a much more authentic version of what occurred than somebody's recollection. Despite what I'm sure you already knew as you're researching the book and has becomes a, maybe becomes somewhat apparent in just daily reporting that you are observing and reading from others, um, what surprised you the most in terms of what you felt as if you uncovered over the course of the time you were reporting for fear? Well, um, there is a lot. I, you could have looked at what Trump says publicly, and that gets covered endlessly and, and should be covered seriously. Uh, you could deal with the Mueller special counsel investigation into alleged coordination, collusion uh, with Russia in the 2016 election, or you can look at what Trump does as president, because I had time, uh, because I've written books about the economy and presidents and national security and wars and presidents. I focused on those areas, and the surprise was discovering that there is, I guess I have to say it very directly, that Trump is gambling with all of these policy issues. Uh, with North Korea, with NAFTA, for instance, he said on NAFTA, oh, I've negotiated a new North American free trade agreement with Canada and Mexico. It turns out, uh, you look at the 1,800-page draft agreement, and you see it's very much like the old NAFTA, uh, there were some actually uh, more restrictions in it. And uh, Trump has said this is the best uh, trade agreement ever, ever negotiated. Well, that's just not so. Uh, it's not different. And uh, there's less free trade than there was in the old agreement. So when you get into the God is in the details, hmm you discover that uh, we're not getting the straight story, that there is a lot of gambling uh, going on. Bob Woodward is our guest. His uh, new book is called Fear, of course, Trump in the White House. He'll be uh, speaking at the State Theater Monday, December 3 in uh, Minneapolis. The uh, let me ask you about you. You write a lot in the book about what might be described as an administrative coup d'état. You got you know documents being taken from Trump's desk, uh, slow walking some of his orders, um, hoping he'll forget about stuff that he's either declared or muttered or 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 screamed about. And since then, since the book came out, and a lot of that's been this has been discussed, the questions come up is whether what those individuals, non-elected individuals, did or are doing is patriotism or basically unelected people usurping too much power. How, how do you feel about that discussion and that debate? Well, I've, I found in the specific cases that there's a lot of courage and conscience in those actions. And uh, they uh, it, it's something Trump return to or ask, hey, wait a minute, what about that document? I wanted to do this. But particularly in this very sensitive, uh, there are top-secret intelligence partnerships we have throughout the world, and 
you can't risk losing that partnership. And Trump has been willing to do that. Uh, he's not displayed a, a, a substantial understanding of the importance of those relationships or the trade agreement or agreements or the security agreements uh, like NATO, uh, all of the forward deployed troops we have around the world. Do you have any idea how many American troops or military personnel are deployed throughout the world? No. 200,000. Staggering <laughs> and larger than most armies in the world. And the generals and the Secretary of Defense tell the president these are the best national security dollars we spend. Trump thinks, oh, that's for the security of Europe or the Middle East or South Korea. And they say, no, uh, this is for our joint security. We are protecting ourselves by protecting Europe. And uh, he just doesn't get it. And uh, if I've spent a lot of time writing books about wars, and lots of generals and admirals realize uh, the centrality of those agreements. Trump doesn't even, I mean, he literally thinks we're being played for suckers. A key moment in the book for me is when you are uh, speaking through uh, former uh, Chief of Staff Priebus, and you write, Trump had failed the President Lincoln test. He had not put a team of political rivals or competitors at the table, Priebus concluded, and concluded. He puts natural predators at the table, not just rivals, predators. To which I ask you, what is, on the basis of your reporting, what is the cost of that approach? Well, it, uh, a lot of infighting, a lot of chaos. Uh, I, I think ultimately the test of, of a president occurs when there's a crisis, like 9-11, the terrorist attacks in 2001, the, the financial crisis in 2008, and you need a team working together, and Trump doesn't have a team. He has... Uh, has Priebus said, uh, it is a zoo without walls where the predators are more interested in causing trouble for somebody else on the staff than getting something done. Bob Woodward is our guest. Uh, just a couple of remaining questions for you. Remind, remind folks who are listening that you can uh, uh, attend Bob's uh, conversation that he'll be involved in on Monday, December 3 at the State Theater. Hennepin Theater Trust Org is where you can get tickets. Um, the it's interesting to me, and I I, I want to deviate just a little bit about a comment John Stewart made recently to in a CNN interview. I think with Christiane Amanpour, if I'm not mistaken, and he said President Trump has been able to appeal to journalists' own narcissism by attacking them. They take it personally, and now he's changed the conversation to. Not that his policies are silly or not working. It's all about the fight. And I, I fear that a lot of reporters have fallen into this trap at the risk of, of undermining some credibility. How do you feel about that issue and what well, John said? I, I, I've said that for a couple of years, that uh, reporters have become too emotionally unhinged about Trump. And that uh, 
that you've got to step back, cool it down, take a Valium gargle or something <laughs> to get the uh, nerves lower and deal with the facts and just report. But you can't go particularly on television and show a kind of a visceral contempt for Trump or, in the case of Fox News, uh, a, a visceral total support for him. It's got to be, this is what happened, this this is the debate, these are the discussions, this is the uh, decision. But what we are getting on both sides of this, uh, lots of fireworks. And I'm not sure the fireworks uh, inform people enough. I think it's, you've got to stick as much to the reporting about what others are doing and what their conclusions are, and ultimately, what is the policy? Look, and to take an example, uh, the Trump tax bill, something he's touted as, gee, this is great for the American economy. We have good economic conditions now. But if you speak to economists from the left, the right, the center, they will say, Cutting taxes like this is a classic fiscal stimulus, which will, of course, improve the economy because individuals have more money to spend, right? Mm -hmm. uh, businesses have more money uh, to pay to shareholders or themselves or, in some cases, even employees. Uh, when you do a fiscal stimulus, there's a price to pay, and the price is a trillion dollar deficit and the deficit keeps growing and growing and again economists of all stripes will say this is potentially very very dangerous so he's presented the upside of the tax cut and uh, someday we quite likely almost inevitably will feel the downside the, you know, to follow up on the, on this and the Stewart uh, observation, which, yeah. as you mentioned, you've 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 been really talking about for quite some time. I I, I and I, I'm at the risk of being accused of trying to butter you up here. I think this is one of your positions of strength because you're not on Twitter a lot that I'm aware of opining. You're not. Um, and there are a lot of not just commentators, but reporters who can't resist scratching the itch and it's sad because they may report very accurately about what they have but i think it calls into more likely to call into question um what they're up to because on another five occasions or on three cnn shows they have laid out opinion as much as they have their own reporting and that with you there's still i think a, a, an element of belief of okay he's going to follow he's going to try to follow where the story goes as opposed to well, he's already kind of rigged it because we know how he feels. I think it's a loss for a lot of good reporters when they go down that road. And I think what happens is uh, viewers who are neutral, and, and there are some people who are neutral, or even people who agree. You can agree with somebody and say, oh, no, they're overstating the case, or they have what I call this emotional engagement in the issue, and uh, it, I, th I think it doesn't work, and I think it leads to 
more and more distrust of the media, and it's it's something uh, we've we've got to guard against. Look, don't let's not kid ourselves. I go speak to an audience, say of a thousand people, and ask how many people basically distrust the media. Right, and it's going to be a high percentage, thirty percent. Uh, sometimes 50%, I've seen way over that. Now, if we have a product, right, like anybody. If you are uh, selling cornflakes and a majority of people or a large percentage of the people distrust your product, that's your problem. It's not the people who buy cornflakes' problem. And you need to fix it or do a better job. And uh, I I think we are drifting off course here. And, of course, Trump is exploiting it. He's adopted the old Nixon strategy, make the issue the conduct of the media, not his conduct. Last item, and I know you're going to be speaking, I think you're going to be speaking about this when you come to town December 3rd at the State Theater, forbearance, the importance of forbearance in a president and why, at least from my view on the outside, uh, it doesn't appear that that's something this president has or cares to ever exhibit. What, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, very important notion of forbearance, holding back. As I say, the presidents have all this power, and sometimes you don't have to go out like he does and give his opinion or his judgment on everything. And uh, it's uh, presidents can start wars, we know, all by themselves, essentially. Uh, presidents... Uh, particularly in the Trump era, the president has such a megaphone. Uh, There will start the morning on some big, important issue, and Trump will tweet something, and everyone goes to cover the tweet. And this is the problem of what I call say journalism. He said this, he said that. Got to cover it. It's important. But what is he doing And in lots of these areas, because of the gambling, because of the inconsistency in the way he does things, uh, we are really at uh, a point where I'm not sure, and this is not partisan, this is just a reporter's judgment after doing it for 47 years, if, if there's a crisis, if there's some real problem, as I said, how, how is Trump going to work this out? It, you have to weigh arguments and information, and you can't just uh, impulsively jump, ah, yes, this is what we're going to do. Uh, that's what it's like. I greatly enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for the uh, the extended time you gave us, and I uh, even more so appreciate the fact that 41 years ago you didn't like you know knock my head in as the poor student well, editor no, just sort of trying not, to get that, by. That would have been not a good thing to do. <laughs> I do not specifically remember that. I would imagine it's something that somebody, a reporter, quoted right. me or somebody saying something that. Uh, 
was not accurate. Um, but I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.